Well, welcome Thrive Online. It's good to be with you again this week. We are beginning a new leg of our journey. We are starting a new series and it is one of my favorite topics. It is called The Good Work. We're we're studying the book of Nehemiah this month and we're going through it. We actually started Thrive Community Church on the book of Nehemiah knowing that what Nehemiah did and went through is very similar what God has called us to do as Thrive Community Church. And so we're talking about it this, this month and we're going to be talking about this, this concept of today when you can't take it anymore. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you just said, I can't take it anymore. Something has frustrated you, it has bothered you, it has challenged you, and you're just at your, your tipping point. Well, I've been there, and we're going to share that, and, and those who serve you at, at, on this staff have been there, and, and I hope you get there during the month of June. I hope that you are at your tipping point during 2020, the June of 2020, that with everything going on, you are at this place, and you're saying, I can't take it anymore. So I want you to pray with me. I want to pray with you and connect with you. But before I go into that, I want you to know, if you're the best of the best, if you're Mr. First Class or Miss Star Athlete, or if you're, you're most popular or anything along those lines, there's good news. God can still use you. Why do I say that? I say that because God is in the business. He specializes in using ordinary people. This series is for those of you who believe you are capable of more. That you were born for purpose. That you were created to do something eternal. Something that matters. Something that lasts far beyond you. This is for you. Next four weeks has the potential to change lives. And more importantly, it has the potential to change the lives of those who live around you. So I want to warn you though. Because when God uses you, there will be pain. It always comes with a cost. There will be a price to pay that is greater than you can ever imagine. Not only pain, there will be agony, there will be rejection, some of your greatest heartache will come, your greatest failures will present themselves when you start to follow what God is asking you to do. Loneliness will set in. Doubt will be everywhere. And this misunderstanding will be all around you. Discouragement will be upon you. You may stand alone. People won't understand. You won't understand at times. You will be criticized. You will be mocked. But when what you've been doing and why you've been doing it surfaces and the fact that you realize you've made a difference, you'll never remember the pain that you went through to get to where you're going where you've arrived. You'll never look back on all the pain and agony and think, I remember it in such great detail because you'll be rejoicing over the difference that you've begun to make. The world will be a different place because you took a risk, you took a step of faith, you obeyed. Now, 
Uh, you may look like an ordinary person. I, I hope you see that the staff and those who come through Thrive Community Church and lead ordinary people. Ordinary, everyday individual. And that's the type of people that you need to know that God uses. And so you may be looking at yourself and you may be thinking and discounting and discrediting yourself because I'm ordinary. Well, praise God, because now you have an opportunity to be, to be used. And what we're going to study this month, an ordinary individual. I'm going to show you this individual is in the Old Testament. His name was Nehemiah. He had a, uh, his heart was broken for his people. And Nehemiah, and I hope just like you throughout this series, you, you and he had decided that I can sit down, I can sit by and no longer do nothing. I can no longer do this. And in Nehemiah 2.18, he says, So they began the good work. And that's the message that we are sending out in June. We're beginning the good work. So if you are hungry to do more, if you want to make a difference, and if you know you've been created to make a difference, and if you have the faith to believe that God might speak to you to stir you to do even more, would you just join your heart with mine in prayer? And even right where you are in your living room or wherever you're watching, just stand up with me right now. Stand up in an agreement of, I was born for more than what I've settled for, and I want the more that God has for me. So I'm going to pray with you. And I want you to join your hearts. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would stir us to believe that we could do exceedingly and abundantly more, God, by your power to make a difference in the lives of people. God, give us this courage and the faith to step out. Would you speak to us, God? Would you stir us, God? Would you use the gifts of those who you love to make a difference in the lives of other people and to glorify you, God, in all that we do? We pray this in the mighty, the most beautiful one who gave us this perfect work, the Son, our Savior, Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen and amen. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I want you to sit by and, or sit, as you sit down, give somebody a virtual high five or, or however you need to do it, a fist bump or an, an elbow bump, a COVID-19 greeting. But we want to let the good work begin. And one of the most ordinary, one of the most motivating and captivating and insp inspirational stories that you'll ever hear is from an ordinary guy like you and I. That guy made, however, an extraordinary difference. He took the ordinary and made it extraordinary. Now, uh, Nehemiah was not a pastor. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He was not a king. He was not a warrior. In fact, he wasn't even a contractor. He was one person, one ordinary person, who saw something that bothered him and he was compelled. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes, the king Artaxerxes of Persia. Now, I want to put some context to this because he was a cupbearer, meaning in our days he would be more like a house servant or a butler, somebody that was uh, there to almost prepare or be uh, ready 
to serve the king anything that was prepared for the king. So the cupbearer, what would he do? He would take the wine or a drink or anything that would come towards the king to be offered to the king. And Nehemiah would test it. He would taste it. And he would know immediately if it was poisoned or not. Now, to be a cupbearer, you must have the utmost integrity. You must be trustworthy. Uh, he was privy to private conversations and he had trusted and intimate knowledge because he was so close to the king. I want you to think about this. It's almost like a secret service agent for our president. You know, that's that secret service agent that goes to the bathroom to make sure everything's okay for our president. The one who's standing outside the door, possibly inside the door as the president is using the, the restroom. Why? Because as now, as it is in those days, there was always someone or some people that were trying to out the king. There were always plots. And so it was a very dangerous situation because all it took was somebody crafty enough and, and, and had it in their heart to get rid of the king. And the only channel between the king and this individual was the cupbearer. That, in that case, in this case, is Nehemiah. That's very interesting. And that's who God chose to do this very act of beginning the good work. Now, it was a regular day, and Nehemiah, being an ordinary guy, hears news that changed the course of life. Now, Nehemiah says this in Nehemiah 1-2, uh, Hanani, one of my brothers, that was a spiritual brother, Jew, uh, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived, the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah asked his brother, he says, hey, brother, tell me about our people. Tell me about our land, our homeland. Tell me about what's going on there right now. Because he, he, had been, he had never been there. In fact, he wasn't born there. He was born in exile. He was born as, as a prisoner or a, a slave, a servant to the Persians. Uh, Babylonia, in about 140 years before this time, had actually came and captured under the, the power of the, the great Nebuchadnezzar, great and evil Nebuchadnezzar, and they attacked Jerusalem. They destroyed, utterly destroyed the cities. I'm telling you, you've heard of Solomon's temple. Well, they destroyed it. Uh, they burned everything to the ground. Every building was in rubble. The gates were burned, and there was absolutely no protection left for the Jews who lived in Jerusalem. Everything they knew was gone. I'm telling you, small businesses gone, commercial businesses gone, uh, every franchise gone, everything was just gone, and their whole livelihood, everything that they depended on for finance and economy, gone, stripped in, in a matter of moments. And the Babylonians, what did they do? They took tens of thousands of the Jews over to back to Babylonia. And they, they took them into captivity. They demoralized them. And they literally, the Jews were literally left with no hope for the future. Now, Jeremiah prophesied that this would all take place. So it's not like they didn't know the, the, the results of their behaviors and what they were doing. And God already gave Jeremiah, gave them through Jeremiah, instruction on what to do. However, it did not eliminate the fact that they would have to go through this. So 140 years before the time of Nehemiah, these things took place. And Nehemiah, 140 years later, is asking, Hey brothers, how's our homeland? How's our people? And decades later, 50,000 Jews moved back 
to Jerusalem to begin this process of rebuilding. And in Nehemiah 1.3 says, They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Still, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Burned with fire. It's still, to this day, 140 years later, no one has stepped up and done anything about this catastrophe, this, this horrible situation, this, this tragic event, this tragic uh, setting, this tragedy of our homeland is still a disgrace. And, and it's, it's very similar even to situations that are going on in America where there's burning, there's looting, there's, there's even cities that have been left desolate from previous riots uh, less than a decade ago and the place has just been burned down. And in, and in Nehemiah's heart, he began to have a burden because there was no wall. No wall means no protection. No protection means they're left vulnerable. Because of this, they had no leadership. And because of this, they had no direction. With no direction, they had no confidence. They had no plan. They had no hope. This was his people. This was God's people left in such desolate array. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? When you see something that ought not be that way, how do you begin the good work? Now I'm going to give you three thoughts that help you to begin the good work. I want you to say this where, right where you're at. I will begin the good work. I will begin the good work. God is calling you. He's prompted you. You are here. You're watching this for purpose and on purpose. But number one is this. This is what Nehemiah did. You sit down and cry. When you're burdened and you see something that touches you and it's affecting you and it's starting to rock your soul a little bit, you sit down and cry. Just this past Sunday, as we, I was resting and after preaching at, at our drive-in service, which I want to welcome you to come any one of these Sundays, 9 a.m., I was looking through the news feed and Google and, and Facebook, and I was seeing all these tragic events, these riots that were taking place. And some of them, some of them were, were, were just protests. So they were just maybe, maybe violent protests, but they were silent protests as well. But I was looking at the violence that was taking place and my heart just began to lament and literally I just began to cry right there I was, as I was trying to rest. I was overwhelmed with what's going on in our nation. I was, I was touched by it. I was seeing that there's no leadership, that there's no authentic guidance, that there's no vision for this people. And it, this people doesn't have a color to it. It's just a people who are affected and they're acting out of their hurts and their wounds and they don't know what to do. Well, Nehemiah 1.4 said this, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. You see, it would have been easy for Nehemiah to just shake off the bad news. It could be easy 
for you to just shake off the bad news. Because for Nehemiah, these people were in, who were struggling, they were in Jerusalem. That's some thousand miles away from where Nehemiah was. You know, Nehemiah, he was in the palace. He was the right-hand man to the king. He was eating the same food as the king. He was watching his favorite shows, maybe Tiger King with the king, watching on a, on a 4K TV. He might have been watching Narcos Mexico. Who knows? He was watching whatever the king wanted to watch. He was doing whatever the king wanted to do. He was living the high life. He, he, was, he could have been posting selfies. Hey, serving the king, hashtag blessed. That's his life. He was comfortable, completely comfortable life. And you, you like Nehemiah, are probably living a completely comfortable life. But he has a choice and you have a choice. Now Nehemiah could have pushed the pain away, could have not let it in, or he could choose to let it in. That's a big one right there because we're, we're used to saying, you know what, that's so, that, that's, that's so sad for those people. Oh, the plight of that situation. Oh, the difficult situations that they're going through. Oh, the pain. Oh, poor them. Let's change the channel. He could have just pushed it away, but instead, he chose to let it in. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. Don't just think, oh, those heartbreak, those, those poor, thing, poor people. No, you have to sit and cry a little bit and let it get from your head to your heart. Because those, that, though that's only 18 inches, that is a very long and arduous and powerful journey from here to here. And that journey right there of only 18 inches changes generations for the future. And it is very difficult to get from here to here and really begin to live itself out because there is a challenge of a journey that we're going to talk about all through this month. So what breaks your heart is the big question. What breaks your heart? Uh, what burdens you? What, what gives you that righteous anger that just starts to burn you inside all in this place right here? What crushes your soul? What crushes you? Maybe it's the children that can't read illiteracy. Maybe it's special needs kids, special needs people. Maybe it's people that have been bullied. Kids are being, are being bullied. Maybe it's those that are being neglected or abused. Maybe it's people that are bound by addictions, that are hostage to drugs. Maybe it's people that are trapped in lustful prison of porn. Maybe it's homelessness. Maybe it's people that are being trafficked. Maybe it's people that are being used and abused for the sake of others. Maybe it's the impoverished, those without clean drinking water in other nations, in our nation. Maybe it's those who are, who are they're dealing with preventable diseases that have no source, but you know you could do something about it. Maybe it's people who don't have God's Word in their language. Maybe it's maybe feeling called to speak on the behalf of the unborn. Maybe... What breaks you is the desire to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. What is it that breaks your heart and burdens your soul? I remember, and Allie was actually speaking this back over me as I was sitting there uh, crying this past Sunday. And she says, I remember when I first met you and how you were intentionally going from child to child and child to child and ministering 
to each individual and connecting with them right where they were. You didn't care about how bad they smelled. You didn't care about how bad their breath was. You didn't care about how dirty they were. You didn't care about how nasty their clothes were. You didn't care about the germs that were on them. You didn't care about anything else that a normal person would have cared for. When we went to the nursing homes, same situation. All I was doing was being broken. I had a burden that was breaking my soul over what I was seeing. I was seeing people with lack. I was seeing people in bondage. I saw people with need for freedom. I saw people with need for hope. And I saw when I just did the smallest acts of love that hope was lifted. And when hope was lifted, I could do just a little bit to put freedom back into a place of bondage where they were feeling bondage before. Well, I remember that first trip that I went to Honduras and the Lord spoke to me so powerfully and it was wrecking my soul. I cried all the way home. I, I literally got out of the shower. I went down to a rock downstairs and I sat on it. I sat down and cried. I cried for two hours because God was breaking me. He was burdening me with something that can be done, but it would take a choice as to whether I would answer, could I do it? And I decided, though I can't do it all, I can commit to do something. So we sit down to cry. You let it in. You feel the pain. You feel what others are experiencing. You embrace the burden. You let it crush you. And don't worry when you sit down and you want to cry, okay? Don't worry when you sit down and you have an ache or a burden. I worry when I don't sit down to cry, when I don't feel a burden, when I'm feeling callous or lethargic, when nothing stirs me enough to move. Now, if you're in that situation, you should worry. I want my heart to be tender and moved by things that move the heart of God. So what do you do when you can't take it anymore? First, you sit down to cry. And second, you kneel down to pray. And Nehemiah 1.4 says this, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Listen, if it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. All we can do now is people, you hear this whenever people are going through a difficult situation. All we can do now is pray. Well, if that's your response, you're done. If the last thing you can do, you feel like the last thing you can do is pray, you, you're already done. I'm only, you may be thinking, I'm only one person. What can I do? Well, let me tell you this. God plus one is always the majority. What you do in those situations, when in the moment you start to hear bad news, you invoke the power of God over the situation and into the situation. And Nehemiah 1.5 says this, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. You see, he's invoking God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You notice you see the, the, love, the love of God in the Old Testament right there. A lot of times people think that God is just waiting to beat them over the head. No, Nehemiah knew the love of God. Covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
Verse 6 says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your, of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. What was he doing? He was, as he, he continued after this, he began to confess his own sins. Then he began to confess the sins of the, of the people. He began to remind God of his promises. He began to stand in the place. He was positioning his own self, him own, his own self, in a position knowing God's promises, knowing God's statutes, trusting God's testimony, and knowing that if God has done it before, God can do it again, and God can do it through Nehemiah and with Nehemiah. But it took the revelation and the understanding of Nehemiah to invoke the power of God in a situation so that God can actually move. What did Nehemiah, what did Nehemiah have to do? He had to get himself out of the way. He began to remind himself of the faithfulness of God, the love that God has for others, especially those who, got, who obey His commandments. And after fasting, after praying, and being broken, he goes before the king. Now, he goes before the king with a burden. And the king recognizes, hey, there's something on you. There's something different about you, Nehemiah. I've never seen you like this, and you've been my cupbearer for some time. And he says, Nehemiah, I know what this is. Now, I want you to let you know that it would be very dangerous for the cupbearer to go before the king in a, with a sad face, with a place of sadness, or, or anything dangerous, anything different than what he would normally go before the king with, and normally that would have to be joy, contentment. Why? Because the king would assume that the cupbearer is up to something or knows something that the king doesn't know, and that actually could be sudden death. But, the, but Nehemiah had such a trusting relationship with the king, who is a worldly king, that the king recognized it, and he actually said, Hey, Nehemiah, I know what this is. This is nothing but sadness of face. And so Nehemiah began to speak to him about what was the burden in his heart. He began to declare to him, and the king says, What shall I do? What shall you have me do? And that's when Nehemiah, because he had fasted, he had prayed, he had been broken, he had sought the Lord already in advance, he knew exactly what his response would be in case the king did ask. And so in that moment, he asked for permission to leave, to go and rebuild. And Nehemiah 1.11 says this, Give your, he's praying to God, he says, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That man's the king. And a lot of times, many of us don't do anything because we don't think we have the right resources or any resources. And what Nehemiah shows us is that God is the resource and God is Nehemiah is trusting that God can use even a worldly king to provide resources for what God wants Nehemiah to do and what God is breaking Nehemiah's heart for. So many times people fail to start to initiate something that God is burdening them with because they're afraid that God can't bring the resources because they're looking at their natural situation. This is a life lesson we need to take from, from Nehemiah right here. Because what you pray about reflects what you believe about God. And most of the, the, the boundaries of our prayers are, bless my food, Lord. Um, keep me safe today, please, if you can. Um, help me have a good day and smile today. 
Uh, these prayers, they don't, even re they don't reveal a passionate, powerful uh, belief in al Almighty God. They don't, have a, they don't show a deep trust in God's abilities. Here's, here, your prayers need to look something like this if you're going to be anything like what Nehemiah was, was just an ordinary man carrying a burden. Because Nehemiah, through the burden and through reminding himself and God what God has done and what he can do and who God is, he says things like move. God, I need you to move for me. I need you to move on my behalf. I need you to act on my behalf. I need you to work things out in front of me. Uh, Father, reveal your glory. Stretch me. Nobody wants to pray that prayer. Stretch me, O Lord. Empower me. Use me, God. Those are the prayers of someone who knows that God is an almighty, a deep, trusting, and powerful God. And when you believe that in your depths, and you're willing to sit down and cry, or you're willing to kneel and pray, humbling yourself before an almighty God, and you stand up to do a good work, everything is changed inside of you. And what happens in these moments as you are yielding to what God wants you, that you will become, you become willing to face every challenge along the way, knowing God has an answer in advance. Then you stand up and act. I have to go through this often. Just, just this morning, I even sat down. I, I kneeled down to pray because there was, there was, there's things that I'm having to deal with and go through. There's answers that I don't have. What happens? I have to kneel down and pray and focus on the God of heaven who already has the solution to every one of these trials. And the more I focus on the God of heaven, the more the problems dissipate and the more God can give me vision for how to navigate through anything that my day comes with. That's, that's, that's a really free advice right there. And that is good advice. So how do you begin the good work? Sit down and cry. You kneel down to pray. Then you stand up and act. When your tears turn to prayers, and his, his, in Nehemiah, his prayers drove him to act. He took, he took the wine to the king with a heavy heart, and the king notices. And in Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5 says this, The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. He's like, right there. He's like, I just prayed to the God of heaven. Uh, he's asking me a question. This could end up really bad. And he says this, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are. Uh, they are buried so that I can rebuild it. He says, my people are hurting. The walls of my hometown where my people are from are torn down. My city is exposed. Somebody's got to do something. He said, it might as well be me. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, you know what, I'm too busy. Uh, I, got a, I got a next Netflix series I need to watch. He didn't say, uh, I can't really make a big difference anyway. He didn't say, you know what, that sounds really good. There's probably someone else that could do that, someone else that would be better at that than me. No, he said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. And when we began to start this church, Allie and I, when we started this church, 
We carried a burden in our hearts for five years. In the very beginning of our marriage, we knew, I, I knew, I knew the Lord told me that we would be plant, church planters. Allie and I had gone to a conference and right there at the end of the first day, the guy who was leading the conference, who we had never seen before, never known before, never anything like that before, came up to us and began to pray over us and then began to ask us very intimate and personal details about uh, ministry that we're involved in. He had invited me to come to Honduras with him, not knowing that, that I, I already do missions work in Honduras. He, as he walked away, he asked me if church planting meant anything to me. He didn't know that the Lord was already stirring my heart just the day before about planting churches in the future and declared right there in that moment, you will be planting churches in the future. Allie and I carried this burden, not forcing anything out of it. In fact, we were in no place in our lives to be planting a church, I promise you. If any of you have been around Thrive Community Church for any length of time, we are very vocal on the beginning of our marriage and, and our marriage throughout. We, we are very open and honest and transparent with all of those things. But God had a different plan, and God had buried a seed of burden in our souls. And as time transpired and, and God navigated situations and He actually gave us an opportunity to go to a, another church in Kansas, we knew that wasn't it. So many times you may think, well, I've got to take the first chance I get. No, you've got to take the right chance that God has for you. We never rushed it until God pushed it. We, after, in the, in the short time before we started the church, we were we were in this place, we were going and looking at other churches and just getting the feel of what was going on. And we're like, that's not it. God has something different. That's not it. God has something better. God has something, something different that He wants us to do. And we, we felt in our hearts that Henderson County needed something different. And someone has got to do it is what our thoughts were. were. And we said it, was, it might as well be us. And so in March of 2017, we planted Thrive Community Church, not knowing what it would be, what, it's be, what it would become. And, and we don't even know what it will become. But all we do know is we carry the burden for the calling and the vision of what God has given us. And every day we kneel and we do exactly what that day needs leading into the next day. Now, I'm not sure who, who but someone is being taught, touched by this. This is, this is speaking to the soul of someone. And there's been something that has bothered you. Maybe you've, you've tried to keep it at a distance, not letting it in, but now you're going to feel the pain. You're going you're gonna to let it wreck you on the inside. You're going to let the burden begin to overwhelm you. And you're going to sit down, you're going to cry, you're going to ache. You're going to lament and cry all about it. And in your place of prayer, you're going to kneel down and invoke God. And at some point, you'll say, enough is enough. And you're going to stand up and act. Your mind, the inner voice is going to say, I'm not a pastor. I'm not in ministry. I'm not trained. I don't have a lot of experience. 
listen to me. You don't have to be called by man to be chosen by God. And you don't have to be chosen by man because you are already called by God. You don't have to be chosen by a person to step into the burden that God has already called you towards. You don't, you don't have to wait until someone chooses you out of the crowd because God is already calling you because He is putting the burden in your heart the burden for you to receive, to cry over, to lament, to kneel down, to pray, to invoke the power of God, and in the right time to stand up and act. It is time to let the good work begin. Like Nehemiah did, let the good work begin. You, like Nehemiah, have been called and chosen by God to start a good work. He didn't finish it alone. He didn't do it alone, but it didn't happen until he just started it. So what do you do when you can't take it anymore? Well, you sit down to cry, you kneel down to pray, and then you stand up to act. And if you're here and you want God to use you and do something through you, I want you to right where you're at, right in your living room, just raise your hand. Just respond. You're not responding to me. You're responding to God because God is the one who is using these words to affect your heart. And I want to pray a prayer of blessing. You may not think, well, that doesn't sound like a blessing. It's a blessing. And it's a blessing that every leader has to go through. And again, I want to remind you, there will be pain. There will be agony. There will be criticism. There will be doubt. There will be confusion. There will be misunderstanding. There will be loneliness. There will be all of those things that God uses to form your character and to form your growth. So just stand there with your, your hands open. You're just receiving this amazing blessing. So may God bless you with discomfort to easy answers with half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. May God bless you with all of these things because these things in the heart of an ordinary individual that causes someone to feel the pain of society and culture and rise up and say, I may not be able to do everything, but I can do something. So Father, I just pray a blessing of grace over every individual who's watching this video right now and I pray for an empowerment and I pray that they don't stand, they no longer stand with their uh, emotional hands out not allowing the truths and the realities of what you're calling them into penetrate the depths of their soul and wreck them 
for the future and the, and the generations to come. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Check with us next week for our part two of The Good Work. I hope that I hear good news that you have started the good work this week.